everybody. What's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris. You can go to the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com. There you can sign up for the newsletter, which I will send out every Sunday, which is basically just the links to the news stories that I'll be talking about today and from the previous podcast. So two podcasts worth of news links in one email. That's pretty much all that email does. And the idea behind it is that I'm already getting these news links for this podcast, so I might as well make use of them and uh, send them out to people that may want to take a look at the sources or send them to other people or what have you. So again, you can go to BibleProphecyTalk.com on the right side. You can sign up for the newsletter. Okay, jumping right in, let's talk about Israel. And I will start off by just reading a number of headlines and a few pull quotes from each headline. This one says, ground invasion possible as Israel calls in 9,000 reservists. One pull quote from that, and this is sort of the flavor of the idea I want to talk about today. Benjamin Netanyahu said that Israel had given a very bad beating to Hamas and other terrorist organizations, perhaps referring to the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. He added, they attacked us on our holiday. They attacked us. They attacked our capital. They launched missiles into our cities. They they pay and pay a heavy price for it. It's not over yet. We will do everything to restore security to our cities and citizens. Another headline says IDF, Israeli Defense Forces, will fight until there's, quote, complete silence before any truce is possible, says Israeli Defense Minister. Quote from that, we will not accept rebuke from any organization or institution about our right and duty to protect our citizens of Israel. We'll come back to that. I think it's important. New York Post, Israel takes out Hamas leader Bassam Issa with Gaza airstrike. RT World News, IDF announces Israeli ground troops attacking Gaza Strip. End time headlines, 1,500 rockets fired at Israel. Netanyahu warns Hamas will pay hefty price. UN warns of all-out war. Al Jazeera, Gaza death toll jumps to 84 as Israeli air raid intensifies. This one is more just military tactics from Breitbart. Israel exaggerated invasion to lure Hamas fighters into tunnels, then bomb them. And I've seen a lot of really negative reporting of this, weaponizing fake news and look at the atrocity and so on and so forth. But if I understand it, the reason that you would do this is because Hamas typically shields itself in civilian populations or next to civilian things so that, number one, you don't want to attack them because you will kill civilians if you attack them, which is terrible, right? Uh, But then also they can use that as a political tool when you do attack them. Like if you shield yourself with children and then you get attacked, you can say, look at all these children that have died. Uh, So by luring them into the tunnels by the story is they basically, since the last podcast, they put out all this, you know, Twitter feeds. We're on the ground. We're moving right now. Sort of thing saying that they were moving into Gaza right then, which they weren't. But then it forced the Hamas fighters into these tunnels and then they were bombed there. So it separated them from their civilian uh, uh, shields, I guess, if you will. That's, at least that's a story. So big picture, you've got Israel for a long time now just being bombed by rockets. We've all kind of got desensitized to that idea that Hamas, you know, just goes out and, and, and shoots rockets into the cities of Israel. And they do kill people and they, they blow up all kinds of stuff. And now they're, you know, hitting close to nuclear power plants and hitting close and blowing up pipelines and stuff like that. Anyway, they've always been a terror. And think about that. If you lived in 
Los Angeles or something and were being bombed by Mexico on a regular basis. Like they just kept always sending rockets. And that's just a thing that you lived with. If you lived in Los Angeles, it's like, oh, well, you know, you got to be careful. If you hear the signs, sirens, you know, your house might blow up. If it's just a random sort of threat that you wouldn't stand for if you were America, you'd say, hey, Mexico, pretty please with a cherry on top. Uh, don't shoot rockets into Los Angeles. So it makes sense that somebody would defend themselves. The question in the international media is always like, well, why are the Palestinians shooting rockets? It's because they're oppressed and you're such a meanie that they shoot rockets in the first place. If you wouldn't be so mean, they wouldn't shoot rockets, as if it's okay to shoot rockets. So anyway, I think this is interesting for a number of reasons. First is that Israel is seemingly for real fighting back and they may continue this and it's probably going to spark some other stuff. I think that it's interesting you have quotes that say stuff like, we will not accept rebuke from any organization or institution about our right and duty to protect our citizens of Israel. And I agree with this. If this wasn't Israel or anybody else, I think this is a very good statement. And it's important to understand this, I think, in relationship to Bible prophecy and also just in relationship to geopolitics in general, that the international community, whatever you think of it, is completely anti-Israel. They use a psychology, kind of like Antifa or the left does, that they're somehow the renegades, they're somehow anti-establishment for being left, for being globalist, you know, pawns. They're somehow, they, they get to have the psychology of like, you know, I'm such a rebel that I believe this complete left stuff. Nobody understands me, nobody, you know, and because that's a psychology that you can really sink your teeth into and really believe in like, I'm such a rebel. I think communism is good, you know? And that's what's happening here. People, they're selling you the narrative that you're the rebel if you believe, if you think that you know, defend Palestine, right? You know, you, you're this rebel when in fact, you gotta take a step back and it's like, wait a minute. The UN, the EU, every single government on the planet, every single news uh, organization, including Fox News, every single, well, maybe a little bit less than the controlled opposition Fox News, but that's what their job is to do. You know, you've just lined up all these trendies, lining up and condemning Israel as apartheid states and everything else. And it's like, come on, you can't possibly think that you are anti-establishment for that take. And again, it's just the same kind of stuff. It's like just logical questions. Like, okay, on one side you have this group that that just every time you say, hey, let's negotiate, they'll say, well, the only thing we'll negotiate with is Israel just not being a nation anymore. We want them literally dead and to not exist anymore. That's not really a platform to negotiate with. And, on the, and so what we're going to do as a result of that is just continually fire rockets. So what do you do with that group of people who wants you dead and wants to continue to just fire rockets? And then this evil, basically globalist world keeps funding them and giving them rockets and everything. What do you, what do you even do? And I think that that's where I get into the Bible prophecy aspect is this line, we will not accept rebuke from any organization or institution about our right and duty to protect our citizens of Israel. So the reason I can see some aspect of Bible prophecy here, and it's really more of a attitude thing than an actual signs we're supposed to watch for thing. And that is this idea of Israel being feeling completely isolated in a crazy world, right? They're, they know, hey, look, we just have to defend ourselves. We don't have, the whole world is against us. We need some kind of protector. I think that's an, an incredible, important psychological thing 
that's going to have impact in the end times. And I also think it has to do with the recent Temple Mount dynamics that I've been talking about in the last uh, couple episodes where, you know, you've got the Palestinians able to do whatever they want on the Temple Mount, to go up there, pray, shoot off fireworks, have holidays, do all this stuff that Israel would just love to do. I mean, it's the third holiest site for the Muslims. It's the first holiest site for the Jews, and they can't even pray on there. It's illegal for them to pray in their own city that they do control because they're just trying not to start wars, right? So I think all this has to do, maybe not now, but it's certainly the psychology at some point that will be used by the Antichrist, in my opinion. So first of all, if the Antichrist is a man of war, which is unambiguously true. He's mostly described as a man of war. We could go through, I mean, everything from Revelation 6, Revelation 13, who's like the beast who can make war with him. Daniel 9, we see his actual conquest and he's actually unable to be defeated. We talk about God of fortresses. He is a man of war and is unable, as far as I read it, to be defeated in battle. If that person comes to Israel at the, let's say the beginning of the 70th week and says, hey, look what I can do. I have this for the sake of argument, a technological ability to stop all rockets, to stop nuclear weapons. No one can defeat me. Plus, I have this other thing that I'm really good at. You basically embrace me. You are completely protected. If they do that, they have a champion in the midst of this psychological turmoil of everybody being against them and having mortal enemies on every side. And now there's this guy that has something that can never be stopped. What's the first thing that you do? Well, you do the thing that they always wanted to do. Let's start the temple sacrifices again. Let's actually be Israel. Let's not be afraid of, of World War III. We now have a way to stop it, which is why the beginning of the 70th week demands that you understand it to be the daily sacrifices ending three and a half years later, which means that they were going on in the first three and a half weeks. I think that they started at the beginning of the, that 70th week. But my point is that's this what we're seeing develop is the attitude. Now, that attitude has exist, existed before these wars. Uh, or this this tensions currently that we're seeing, it's just putting a magnifying glass on those tensions to say, yes, this is the real issues here. That's what I'm interpreting this as. I don't think these tensions have anything, and I'm including, let's say, Turkey gets involved. I've been seeing lots of uh, things about that. You know, Erdogan condemns Israel, and people say, well, that's a Bible prophecy being fulfilled. I'm like, what? Why? Give me, give me chapter and verse where... Erdogan condemning violence or whatever. And I know that really goes into the Islamic Antichrist theory, which unfortunately seems to be the majority of the world believes that. Please see my free book online, Islamic Antichrist Debunked. It is, I think, my best book, my most thorough book. It is a point-by-point -point refutation of the actual arguments of the Islamic Antichrist theory, which almost nobody that believes it even knows, uh, which is weird. But Check it out. You can go to BibleProphecyText.com and read that for free. And uh, of course, you can get it other places or whatever. But anyway. All right. Let's move on to COVID news. And I'll just go down the line here. I've got all kinds of stories about breakthrough cases. Bill Maher contracts COVID despite being vaccinated. We've got uh, some hockey team. Blues Wallman is a breakthrough COVID case, test positive after getting vaccinated. And of course, the Yankees thing, I think six guys in the Yankees got COVID after getting the vaccine. And this is just that we know these people's names, right? So that's why we're hearing about this. That's why the, these stories are somehow breaking through the news because Bill Maher had to cancel some episodes, right? So what are they going to do? 
uh, say it's just nothing, don't worry about it. So you're only hearing about these because you actually have to. Why are these players not playing today? Well, they had COVID, so I thought they got vaccinated. So that's why we're getting these stories. This, in my opinion, is kind of, it shows you how controlled the news is that we know the only way we can get news these days is by accident, basically. And I really think they want to cover up these breakthrough cases, as we have seen by the fact that the CDC literally gave different guidelines on how to test people that have been vaccinated, lowering the PCR uh, test cycle threshold for those that have been vaccinated to basically make it seem like they're not getting COVID when in fact they are. All right, I got lots of these kind of quasi-positive stories like this one. Southeast Texas teens receive shot of hope after COVID-19 vaccine approved for children. And so it's been approved for ages 12 and up now, or I say approved, the emergency use uh, authorization or whatever, not approved by the FDA because, of course, none of them are approved by the FDA. They are experimental vaccines and now this is going to basically mean that they're going to give them or all the trendies at least are going to give them to their kids right away and then who knows after that they may mandate it and people will be scared enough to do that but i think it's a double-edged sword with the kids thing number one you're you're definitely going to see more news stories if the bad effects also affect them at the same or a similar rate because you can't use the kind of things that they've been using so far. I mean, we would have heard, we've been hearing a lot of deaths of people, but right now every single case is, we don't know if they've been vaccinated and you know they probably were gonna die anyway. You know, the, Nobody's even thinking about it. We've seen a lot of deaths happening, but that doesn't, none of those arguments work with kids. You can't say, oh, he was gonna die anyway. He was an old kid. Uh, he had heart problems, you know, whatever you're gonna say, if you have given a kid a vaccine and he dies, that is going to be a much easier route to say, saying that it was caused by the vaccine. And of course, it's going to have the additional effect of if that gets posted on Facebook and gets through the sensors, it's going to go ultra super viral because it was a kid. And there's all kinds of psychology there, too. So it, it's a double edged sword for them to do this. The only thing that makes sense, of course, is that, well, I don't know. I think that if this is a eugenics operation, and they really are trying to depopulate, and maybe if that function of depopulation is infertility, then you would actually have to get to the kids in this whole scenario, or none of this works, because that's, you would really only depopulate like uh, one generation at this point. You need that earlier generation if you're gonna have long lasting depopulation or any kind of significant reduction in population, you need to get to the kids. And so this authorization makes sense from that evil perspective, but not really from any other perspective, certainly not a cost uh, benefit perspective. Let's see here. Canada reports 28 cases of rare blood clots following AstraZeneca vaccinations. Again, you only hear about this if it's AstraZeneca. This would never say Pfizer, despite the studies showing that Pfizer and Moderna are actually worse for blood clots than AstraZeneca or J&J, &J, the only ones you hear about, which just shows this is transparently Pfizer material. So it, it's this almost controlled opposition thing where they're letting some stories like this come out. I mean, the official line is that blood clots are the only thing that can that they've admitted will actually kill somebody, but they are rare blood clots. This same thing when there was only one case of rare blood clots in Canada. Now Canada reports, what has it been, a week and a half? Canada reports 28 cases of rare blood clots. And these are the only ones that they just 
have to admit because it was so transparently obvious, but it's always going to be rare. It's only 3 million rare blood clots have happened. Anyway, uh, NAC banned from Amazon. FDA says it's medication. So this is a supplement that's been on the market for, I think, 57 years. And all of a sudden, the FDA says it's medication and you need a prescription for it. And why? Because it showed some promise for COVID-19. And we can't have that. I mean, this is, this is the kind of stuff that I think will be noted as crazy by even doctors because the therapies are being called illegal and maligned and there's just too many smart people out there that know that they're not. So I hope that kind of thing comes through. Related to that story, we have this one that says Tucker Carlson interviews Dr. Peter McCullough on worldwide conspiracy to suppress existing drugs that effectively treat COVID patients in favor of vaccines. So the thrust of this interview was, hey, look, we've had these drugs that are working, but they're being suppressed and everybody's being told that vaccines are the only way to to treat COVID-19. And it's just not true. And it's not even kind of close to true, but that's the narrative. And so it's an interesting to see that on Tucker Carlson. And let's hope that that information gets uh, out there. This is an interesting one about India. And I, I wanted to point out this because this is crazy. These are crazy numbers. This says that in India, the lockdowns, and I've mentioned this before, that if you lock down America, it's one thing who spends, what, 6% of their income on food. But when you lock down the third world, which spends something like 40% of their income on food, meaning they have to get income that day in order to go buy the food to feed their families that night. And the first lockdown in India had these just terrible stories of people you know, thinking about killing their entire families instead of watching them starve to death. We can't even fathom that because they're like, well, why don't you just eat food? Why would you want to starve to death? But anyway, the point is that in this article, it mentions something that uh, I've heard Alex Jones talk about, which is the amount of Indians that are slated to die from lockdowns. According to Hindustan Times, the charity group Oxfam published a report estimating 122 million more people than normal would be pushed to starvation owing to social and economic fallout from government lockdowns. 122 million more people than normal, according to this report. So there is no rationale for locking down people in India because of the starvation factor. Unless you are planning on giving them food to not starve to death, you can't lock down. You're condemning 122 million people to death. That's, remember, Hitler killed 6 million, 122 million by a government policy might as well be the same thing. Again, we're talking about historic things that are happening that will be looked upon in really bad lights when all this stuff comes out. But I think they're just so bold. Anyway, India is interesting. You've got some provinces, I guess they're provinces in India like Goa. I've got stories here about ivermectin. Indian state will offer ivermectin to the entire adult population, even as WHO warns against its use as COVID-19 treatment. So now the ivermectin story has moved from the Philippines to now this, this uh, state of Goa in India that's basically, I don't know if it's a country or maybe, but anyway, they're saying, hey, we're going to use ivermectin and we don't care what you say. And I think that they'll probably be crushed because they're just too little and this machine is too big. I'm sure they'll do anything to make Goa look like the poster child of evil, awful stuff. You know, they'll, who knows what they'll do. But Goa is like, well, 
this works, your vaccines are killing people, let's, uh, let's do this instead. And of course, India was doing really good with had one of the best death rates in the entire world, which is crazy because it's got a ton of people and they weren't exactly following a lot of the guidelines or whatever. But yet their death rate was so small. And some people think it was because they were giving everybody the hydroxychloroquine and the ivermectin. And of course, they had it very cheap because India, they're a pharmaceutical nation. They had all that stuff easy to make. They produce most of the world's pharmaceutical stuff like that, especially off patent stuff. So it was just like, cheap and effective and it really worked but of course now we know that they that all that stuff is bad and the thing that you really need to do is take vaccines and they had problems with that because they wanted to make their own vaccines because they already make 60 percent of the world's vaccines before all this stuff happened so pfizer couldn't handle that and pfizer said well we need to sell you vaccines they're like no we'll make our own because that's kind of what we do and pfizer was like no and then this happened so at least there is some room for skepticism about this whole India thing. But the lockdown thing, I think, is going to be the real story in starvation. We do have this one. Indian health ambassador gets COVID vaccine live on TV to show everyone how safe it is and dies two days later. This guy was 59. He was an actor in India. He gets the vaccine on TV. And when I say health ambassador, he's literally an actor that was declared a health ambassador the day that he got a vaccine and then died two days later or whatever it was. The, point, the health ambassador just means I'm a celebrity and I'm showing people how safe it is or whatever. I've since seen stories about this saying that he didn't really die of the vaccine or, or the way that they always say it is like, there's no proof, there's no link, there's no, you know, some kind of language to say, you can't prove it, you know? And it's like, he could have died from a heart attack for any other reason, you know? So that's always the story is that you can't prove it. That's how, that's Pfizer's stance on everything at this point. You can't prove it, but eventually they will be able to prove it. But at that point, what are you gonna do? Dig up all these bodies and, and use the methodology that they have figured out to determine whether or not the person died from that. But one day, if again, sanity ever prevails and Pfizer doesn't take over the world, then they will be able to prove it. And this whole thing will be over. And of course that is hopelessly optimistic. To tell you the truth, I am not that optimistic, barring a miracle from God, that this is going to get better. I think this is going to get more crazy. I, I think that we're too susceptible to money and evil in this system that we've built. And I think that they are going to succeed in taking over the world and suppressing people that have different views. I'd like to think that the Rand Pauls of the world and will expose that, but I thought that about 9-11 too. So uh, let's look how that turned out. Yeah, stuff you went, make small wins with things like, uh, yeah, there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, but what did that change? Absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing. So this one is too big. There's too much money. There's too much at stake. And I think they might may throw a couple people under the bus before it's all over, maybe Fauci, maybe Gates or whatever. But what will it change in terms of all this? I don't think anything because all you have to do at this point is to make people more afraid. You have to, if they really are going to, if this ends up creating worse variants and people really do start dying and kids start dying, goodness gracious, that amount of fear will, th this population will do anything. We've already been trained of, of the, the dance steps and we'll all be just hustling those steps whenever it happens. But we'll put on the mask and do the whatever, at least the people that are already you know, predisposed to do that kind of stuff. But the worst thing is the hatred of the people that won't, because there's no scenario in which all the variant stuff, no matter if it's only vaccine people dying, somehow or another, mark my words, that's going to be the unvaccinated 
uh, fault. And truth will be even harder to get out at that point. They'll have shut down every possible avenue, bit shoot and everything else will be long gone. And, um, you know, that's the world that we're going to live in a basically impossible world. And I know that sounds scary and everything, but that's the world that, for example, Christianity has always lived and thrived in. I think it's important to reorient yourself back to that. Imagine living in the Roman Empire where everybody literally worshipped pagan gods and it was very common to like sacrifice animals to the pagan gods and to go to the temples and worship via prostitution. And every and the whole world was like that. And they hated Christians. They thought Christians burned down Rome and they would literally kill you if they caught you. And that literally was the case for hundreds of years. And then, of course, it happened again and again and again with the Catholic Church and the Muslims and everybody else. Christianity has just been on the run against people that hated them. And I'm not saying the vaccine thing is going to be anti-Christian, but it is kind of a backdoor to that same thing. And we've all seen those stories start to pop up, which I called long, long ago, by the way, that it would be the evangelical Christians, uh, especially the Bible prophecy types. They, they just won't get it. And that's because they're evangelical. And so now we also have to hate uh, a priori Christians as well. It's just sort of a way to do it. Um, and I think that's really what hatred of conservatism really is, too. It's a backdoor hatred of Christianity, which eventually will be made manifest, which we start to see in places like Europe, where they're literally sentencing Congress people to jail for posting Bible verses that are against uh, homosexuality. So basically, the world is evil. It's always been evil. It's not going to be unevil until the kingdom of God is on earth. And that's the deal. We knew that going in. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Is We have eternal life. We are going to be in an actual kingdom of God in real bodies on earth. Our future is secure. We uh, know that in this world, our charge is to be salt and light. To be salt in the sense that salt prevents the inevitable decay of meat. The meat is decaying. There's nothing we can do about that. We could just shine our light here in the darkness while we're here and do the best at, that we can. And Jesus says, if you do really, really, really good with that salt and light bit, they're going to kill you. That's, the, the, that's how you know you're doing really, really good with the salt and light bit is because they will kill you. So we know the deal. We've counted the cost. We have got our hand to the plow. We're not looking back. We know that the future is the same thing it was for all the, the, the apostles and the disciples and everybody in that whole book of Acts is like, if you do good, you're going to be crucified upside down or stoned to death or have your head chopped off as Paul was or sawed in half as Isaiah. I mean, that's just always been the deal because this world is evil. And to want it to be unevil is to wish for something that um, is not going to happen. Moving on to economic news and some other stuff, but first, thanks for the donation from Philip C. for his one-time donation and to Robert M. for his reoccurring donation. You can donate to this uh, podcast in a number of ways. The first and foremost is by praying for me. You can review the podcast in iTunes. That really helps. Just go to your app and search for Bible Prophecy Talk. You have to do it that way in order to review it, but then you can. Uh, you can also go to the website, Bible Prophecy Talk, sign up for the email list and all that stuff that helps us to keep in contact. And it also gives you a weekly source of news stories, etc. Okay, moving on to a few economic news pieces here. We have Americans fear worst inflation since 2013. This is here mostly as a psychological news story, in my opinion. This is from Fox Business. As I've said before, inflation has already happened in terms of inflating the currency. But what everybody's been waiting on is the people to notice it. And when they start noticing it, then all the things that happen that we think of as inflation start to happen. People raising their prices 
and then it really hits. And when that happens, this whole snowball starts to roll. And the Federal Reserve, who I've mentioned before, is their, their lie is that it's just temporary. It's just a result of the Suez Canal and the chicken wars and, the, and all these things that are happening. Gas pipeline hacks and stuff. That's the only reason inflation is happening, not because we printed all this money. Because they know that they only have one tool that they can actually use, which is to raise interest rates, which are currently at zero. So it's just a really interesting situation. All this to say that inflation is probably coming to the items that you are most likely to buy. And that's an interesting point on this as well. The Fed measures inflation by something called the CPI, which is everybody knows is nonsense. It's almost designed not to find inflation. It's so bad. For example, it doesn't take into account food prices, uh, housing prices, school prices, healthcare. I mean, the list goes on. It's just, it doesn't actually measure inflation as in terms of how it actually means to everybody else. Um, so, but even with their CPI, it's starting to show inflation. And so everybody's going to expect them to raise rates, but it would crash the economy if they did. So, and the Fed says, we're not even thinking about thinking about raising rates, which are at zero because of course they can't, but who knows, who knows what's going to happen. I don't know myself. I think that any kind of uh, long-term gambles on this is, is something you need to watch out for. I don't know. I don't think there's a really good hedge even at this point. For example, I think commodities and metal commodities and things like that are probably a good hedge against inflation once everybody realizes that inflation is, is happening. There's going to be a commodities super cycle, a commodities boom. But you could say, well, how overvalued are commodities right now? Copper being a good example of that. Copper is through the roof right now, but there's also going to be a commodities boom. So is there going to be a correction before the boom? And then all of that is sort of dependent upon there not being some major war or some major shift in economic narratives. That is to say that, you know, we go to some world reserve currency or some basket of currencies or something fundamentally changes. So all that to say, I don't know what's going on with the economy, but I do know that the things that we are going to want to buy and are probably going to cost a lot more. So always I say that buy extra food, go to Costco, buy some 25 pounds of rice and some Mylar bags and oxygen absorbers off Amazon. You can make white rice last for, you know, a long time, 15, 20 years, basically. So you're going to recoup your costs almost certainly down the line. And it's a good thing to have around to be good at uh, Mylar bags and oxygen absorbers for those kind of dry cereal grains and things like that. Just an idea, canned meat lasts a typically even on the can, something around five years, four to five years. So a lot of canned meats are a great thing to buy. They last a long time. If you're going to eat them anyway, don't buy Vienna sausages if you're not going to eat Vienna sausages, but uh, you get the idea. Uh, this story here I thought was interesting. Chicago releases 1,000 feral cats to end reputation as rat capital of America. And I just thought, this is just, this just shows these the, how wrong the idea of releasing the GM mosquitoes to kill the other mosquitoes was. Has this ever worked? Did we, is there success stories of this kind of stuff happening? Releasing a thousand feral cats <laughs> to kill all the rats. And then who knows what the, the rats will become friends with the cats and then they'll attack. I don't know. Something crazy will happen, but 
Just a couple more quick ones. India's COVID-19 catastrophe could make global shortages even worse. I'm going to pull a quote. Some places such as uh, the UAE, Singapore, Hong Kong, and mainland China have already imposed strict quarantine restrictions for vessels arriving from Indian ports. So in this case, the people saying you can't come in here if you're an Indian ship is going to cause other problems. And I think this is just one of the many actual real supply chain things that are being engineered to cause all kinds of problems, which we've got so many different stories like that that are different reasons why supply chain stuff is going to break down. It seems to me all obviously engineered. This is a problem that could have been avoided. There are actual no shortages on any of these things. This is all an engineered supply chain breakdown, which are going to also be in the midst of actual true inflation, which may be a cover for the inflation, who knows? But in any case, for you and your family, it means to probably be aware of that and to know what you need. If you need insulin or whatever, you might need to try to figure out how to get it because who knows what's going to happen with all this stuff. And if you start to see shortages on something that actually matters and there's really no way to get more of it, then you're going to see some real unrest and some stuff is going to happen. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I do know that it's probably a good idea to be more cautious and more uh, wise as serpents at, in this particular situation because, um, you know, we just don't know yet where it's all going, but it doesn't look like it's getting fixed. All right, I think a short show today. If you want to, you can email me at chriswhite79 at protonmail.com. You can go to the website, bibleprophecytalk.com, and I will see you next time. Bye.